Chapter Three of In the Reign of Terror by G. A. Henty. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. Recording by Jen Raimundo. Chapter Three: The Demon Wolf. Upon the first of these occasions, Harry and Ernest were in high spirits, for they were to take part in the chase. It was the first time that Ernest had done so, for during the previous winter the Marquis had been in attendance on the court. At an early hour, the guests invited to take part in the chase began to assemble at the chateau. Many who lived at a distance had come overnight, and the great courtyard presented a lively aspect with the horses and attendants of the guests. A collation was spread in the great hall, and the Marquise and her eldest daughter moved about among the guests saying a few words of welcome to each. "'Who is that young man who is talking to Mademoiselle your sister, Ernest?' Harry asked, for since the adventure with the mad dog the ceremonious title had been dropped, and the boys addressed each other by their Christian names. "'That is Monsieur Lebat. He is the son of the mayor of Dijon. I have not seen him before, but I suppose my father thinks it is well in these times to do the civil thing to the people of Dijon. He is a good-looking fellow, too, but it is easy to see he is not a man of good family. I don't like his looks at all, Harry said shortly. Look what a cringing air he puts on as he speaks to Madame la Marquise, and yet I fancy he could be insolent when he likes. He may be good-looking, but it is not a style I admire, with his thick lips and his half-closed eyes. If I met him at home, I should say the fellow was something between a butcher and a Jew peddler. "'Well done, Monsieur the Aristocrat,' Ernest said, laughing. "'This is your English equality. Here is a poor fellow who is allowed to take a place out of his station, thanks to the circumstances of the time, and you run him down mercilessly.' "'I don't run him down because he is not a gentleman,' Harry said. "'I run him down because I don't like his face, "'and if he were the son of a duke instead of the son of a mayor, "'I should dislike it just as much. "'You take my word for it, Ernest, that's a bad fellow.' "'Poor Monsieur Le Bas,' Ernest laughed. "'I dare say he is a very decent fellow in his way.' "'I am sure he is not, Ernest. "'He has a cruel, bad look. "'I would not have been that fellow's fag at school for any money.' "'Well, it's fortunate, Harry, that you are not likely to see much of him, "'else I should expect to see you flying at his neck and strangling him as you did the hound.' "'Harry joined in the laugh. "'I will restrain myself, Ernest, and besides, he would be an awkward customer. "'There's plenty of strength in those shoulders of his, "'and he looks active and sinewy in spite of that indolent air he puts on. "'But there is the horn. It is time for us to mount.' "'In a few minutes some thirty gentlemen were in the saddle. "'The Marquis, who was grand l'ouverture of the province, blew his horn.' and the whole cavalcade got into motion, raising their hunting-caps, as they rode off, to the Marquise and her daughters, who were standing on the step of the chateau to see them depart. The dogs had already been set forward to the forest, which was some miles distant. On arriving there the Marquis found several woodmen, who had been for the last two days marking the places most frequented by the wolves. They had given their reports, and the party were just starting when a young forester rode up. "'Monsieur le Marquis,' he said, "'I have good news for you.' The demon wolf is in the forest. I saw him making his way along a glade an hour since as I was on my way thither. I turned back to follow him and tracked him to a ravine in the hills choked with undergrowth. The news created great excitement. The demon wolf, the Marquis repeated. Are you sure? Quite sure, monsieur. How could I mistake it? I saw him once four years ago, and no one who had once done so could mistake any other wolf for him. We are in luck indeed, gentlemen, the Marquis said. We will see if we can't bring this fellow's career to an end at last. I have hunted him a score of times myself since my first chase of him, well nigh fifteen years ago, but he has always given us the slip. And will again, an old forester, who was standing close to Harry, muttered, I do not believe the bullet is cast which will bring that wolf to earth. 
"'What is this demon wolf?' Harry asked Ernest. "'It is a wolf of extraordinary size and fierceness. For many years he has been the terror of the mothers of this part of France. He has been known to go into a village and boldly carry off an infant in midday. Every child who has been killed by wolves for years is always supposed to have been slain by this wolf. Sometimes he is seen in one part of the province, and sometimes in another.' For months he is not heard of. Then there is slaughter among the young lambs. A child going to school, or an old woman carrying home a faggot from the forest, is found torn and partly devoured, and the news spreads that the demon wolf has returned to the neighborhood. Great hunts have over and over again been got up specially to slay him, but he seems to lead a charmed life. He has been shot at over and over again, but he seems to be bulletproof. The peasants regard him not as an ordinary wolf, but as a demon, and mothers quiet their children when they cry by saying that if they are not good, the demon wolf will carry them off. Ah, if we could kill him today, it would be a grand occasion. Is there anything particular about his appearance? Nothing except his size. Some of those who have seen him declare that he is as big as three ordinary wolves. But my father, who has caught sight of him several times, says that this is an exaggeration, though he is by far the largest wolf he ever saw. He is lighter in color than other wolves, but those who saw him years ago say that this was not the case then, and that his light color must be due to his great age. The party now started, under the guidance of the forester, to the spot where he had seen the wolf enter the underwood. It was the head of a narrow valley. The sides which enclosed it sloped steeply, but not too much so for the wolf to climb. During the last halt the Marquis had arranged the plan of action. He himself, with three of the most experienced huntsmen, took their stations across the valley, which was but seventy or eighty yards wide. Eight of the others were to dismount and take post on either side of the ravine. "'I am sorry, gentlemen, that I cannot find posts for the rest of you, but you may have your share of the work. Over and over again this wolf has slipped away when we thought we had him surrounded, and what he has done before he may do again. Therefore, let each of you take up such a position as he thinks best outside our circle, but keeping well behind trees or other shelter, so as to cover himself from any random shot that may be fired after the wolf. Do you on your part fire only when the wolf has passed your line, or you may hit some of us. The two lads were naturally among those left out from the inner circle. What do you think, Ernest? Shall we remain on our horses here in the valley, or climb the hills? I should say wait here, Harry. In the first place, because it is the least trouble, and in the second, because I think he is as likely to come this way as any other. At any rate, and let horses crop that piece of fresh grass until we hear the horn that will tell us when the dogs have been turned into the thicket to drive him out. It was half an hour before they heard the distant note of the horn. They have begun, Ernest exclaimed. We had better mount at once. If the brute is still there, he is just as likely, being such an old hand at the sport, to make a bolt at once, instead of waiting until the dogs are close to him. "'What are we to do if we see him?' Harry asked. "'We are to shoot him if we can. "'If we miss him, or he glides past before we can get a shot, "'we must follow shouting, so as to guide the rest as to the direction he is taking.' "'My chance of hitting him is not great,' Harry said. "'I am not a very good shot even on my feet, "'but sitting in my saddle I do not think it likely I should get anywhere near him.' "'A quarter of an hour passed. "'The occasional note of a dog and the shouts of the men "'encouraging them to work their way through the dense thicket could be heard.' but no sound of a shot met their ears. "'Either he is not there at all, or he is lying very close,' Ernest said. "'Look, look!' Harry said suddenly, pointing through the trees to the right. "'That is the wolf, sure enough!' Ernest exclaimed. "'Come along!' The two lads spurred their horses and rode recklessly through the trees towards the great grey beast, who seemed to flit like a shadow past them. "'Mind the boughs, Ernest, or you will be swept from your saddle. "'Hurrah! The trees are more open in front!' 
but although the horses were going at the top of their speed they scarcely seemed to gain on the wolf who as it seemed to them kept his distance ahead without any great exertion we shall never catch him harry exclaimed after they had ridden for nearly half an hour and the laboured panting of the horses showed that they could not long maintain the pace suddenly ten yards ahead of the wolf a man armed with a hatchet stepped out from behind a tree directly in its way he was a woodcutter whose attention being called by the sound of the galloping feet of the horses had left his half-hewn tree and stepped out to see what was coming he gave an exclamation of surprise and alarm as he saw the wolf and raised his hatchet to defend himself without a moment's hesitation the animal sprang upon him and carried him to the ground fixing its fangs into his throat there was a struggle for a few moments and then the wolf left its lifeless foe and was about to continue its flight get ready to fire harry Ernest exclaimed as the wolf sprang upon the man. "'It is our last chance. If he gets away now, we shall never catch him.' They reined in their horses just as the wolf rose to fly. Harry fired first, but the movement of his panting horse deranged his aim and the bullet flew wide. More accustomed to firing on horseback, Ernest's aim was truer. He struck the wolf on the shoulder and it rolled over and over. With a shout of triumph the boys dashed forward, but when they were within a few paces the wolf leapt to its feet and endeavoured to spring towards them harry's horse wheeled aside so sharply that he was hurled from the saddle the shock was a severe one and before he could rise to his feet the wolf was close upon him he tried as he rose to draw his hunting sword but before he could do so ernest who had when he saw him fall at once leaped from his horse threw himself before him and dealt the wolf a severe blow on the head with his weapon furious with rage and pain the wolf sprang upon him and seized him by the shoulder ernest dropped his sword and drawing his hunting knife struck at it while at the same moment Harry ran it through the body. So strong and tenacious of life was the animal that the blows were repeated several times before it loosed its hold of Ernest's shoulder and fell dead. "'Are you hurt, my dear Ernest?' was Harry's first exclamation. "'Oh, never mind that. That's nothing,' Ernest replied. "'Only think, Harry, you and I have killed the demon wolf, and no else had a hand in it. There is a triumph for us.' "'The triumph is yours, Ernest,' Harry said. He would have got away had you not stopped him with your bullet, and he would have made short work of me had you not come to my rescue, for I was half stunned with the fall, and he would have done for me as quickly as he did for that poor fellow there. That is true, Harry, but it was you who gave him his mortal wound. He would have mastered me otherwise. He was too strong for me, and would have borne me to the ground. No, it's a joint business, and we have both the right to be proud of it. Now, let us fasten him on my horse.' but before we do that you must bind up my shoulders somehow in spite of my thick doublet he has bit me very sharply but first let us see to this poor fellow i fear he is dead it was soon seen that nothing could be done for the woodman who had been killed almost instantly harry therefore proceeded to cut off ernest's coat sleeve and bathed the wound the flesh was badly torn and the arm was so useless that he thought that some bones were broken having done his best to bandage the wound he strapped the arm firmly across the body so as to prevent its being shaken by the motion of the riding it was with the greatest difficulty that they were able to lift the body of the wolf but could not lay it across the horse as the animal plunged and kicked and refused to allow it to be brought near ernest was able to assist but little for now that the excitement was over he felt faint and sick with the pain of his wound i think you had better ride off harry and bring someone to our assistance i will wait here till you come back i don't like to do that harry said they must be seven or eight miles away and i may not be able to find them they may have moved away to some other part of the forest ah i have an idea suppose i cut a pole tie the wolf's leg together and put the pole through them then we can hoist the pole up and lash its ends behind the two saddles 
The horses may not mind so much if it's not put upon their backs. That might do, Ernest agreed. But you mustn't make the pole more than six or seven feet long, or we shall have difficulty in riding between the trees. The pole was soon cut and the wolf in readiness to be lifted, but the horses still refused to stand steady. Blindfold them, Harry, Ernest said suddenly, and tie them up to two trees a few feet apart. This was soon done, and the boys then patted and soothed them until they became quiet. The pole was now lifted, and this time they managed to lay it across the saddles and to lash it securely to the cantles. Then they mounted, and taking the bandages off the horse's eyes, set out on their way. The horses were fidgety at first, but presently fell into a quiet walk. For upwards of an hour they heard nothing of the huntsmen. Not a sound broke the stillness of the forest. The sun was shining through the leafless trees, and they were therefore enabled to shape their course in the direction in which they had come. Presently they heard the sound of a shot, followed by several others, and then the bay of hounds. The sound came from their left. They have been trying a fresh place, Ernest said, and I expect they have come upon two wolves. When they have shot, the hounds are after the other. They turned their horses' heads in the direction of the sounds, and presently Harry said, They are coming this way. Louder and louder grew the sounds of the chase, then the deep tones of the hounds were exchanged for a fierce, angry barking. The wolf is at bay, Ernest exclaimed. A minute later some notes were sounded on the horn. That is the mort, Harry. We shall arrive before they move on again. Five minutes later they rode into a glade where a number of horsemen were assembled. There was a shout as they were seen. "'Why, Ernest!' the Marquis called as they approached. "'We thought you had lost us. You have missed some rare sport, but what's the matter with your arm? And what have you got there?' "'We have got the demon wolf,' Ernest replied. "'So you haven't had all the sport to yourselves.' There was a general exclamation of surprise, and almost incredulity, and then every one rode over to meet them, and when it was seen that the object slung between the two horses was really the demon wolf, there was a shout of satisfaction and pleasure. Again the notes of the mort rang out through the woods, and everyone crowded round the lads to congratulate them and to examine the dead monster. Ernest was lifted from his horse, for he was now reeling in the saddle, and could not have kept his seat many minutes longer. His wound was carefully examined, and the Marquis pronounced the shoulder-bone to be broken. A litter was made, and four of the foresters hoisted him upon their shoulders, while four others carried the wolf, still slung on its pole, behind the litter. While the preparations were being made, Harry had given the history of the slaying of the wolf, saying that he owed his life to the quickness and courage of Ernest. "'And I owe mine to him,' Ernest protested from the bank where he was lying. "'The wolf would have killed me had he not slain it. I was lucky in stopping it with a ball, but the rest was entirely a joint affair.' The slaying of the demon wolf was so important an event that no one thought of pursuing the hunt further that day. The other two wolves were added to the procession, but they looked small and insignificant beside the body of that killed by the boys. Harry learned that no one had suspected that they had gone in pursuit of the wolf. A vigilant lookout had been kept all round the thicket, while the dogs hunted it from end to end, but no sign had been seen of it, and none were able to understand how it could have slipped between the watchers unseen. After the ravine had been thoroughly beaten, the party had moved off to another cover. On their way there, the Marquis had missed the two boys. No one had seen them, and it was supposed that they had loitered behind in the forest. Two or three notes of recall had been blown, and then no one had thought more of the matter until they rode into the glade when the second wolf had just been pulled down by the pack. It was afternoon when the hunting party arrived at the chateau. Before they started homewards, the Marquis had sent off two horsemen, one to Dijon to bring a surgeon with all speed to the chateau, the other to tell the Marquise that Ernest had been hurt and that everything was to be got in readiness for him, but that she was not to make herself uneasy, as the injury was not a serious one. 
the messengers were charged strictly to say nothing about the death of the demon wolf the marquise and her daughters were at the entrance as the party arrived the sight of the litter added to the anxiety which ernest's mother was feeling but the marquis rode on a short distance ahead to her do not be alarmed julie he said the lad is not very seriously hurt he has been torn a bit by wolf and has behaved splendidly the messenger said he had been hurt by wolf edward but how came he to put himself in such peril he will tell you all about it my dear here he is to speak for himself do not look so alarmed mother ernest said as she ran down to the side of the litter it is no great harm and i should not have minded if it had been ten times as bad bring up the wolf the marquis said and harry do you come here and stand by ernest's side madame la marquise he went on do you see that great grey wolf that is the demon wolf which has for years been the terror of the district and these are its slayers your son and monsieur sanwith they and they alone have reaped the glory which every sportsman in burgundy has been so long striving to attain they alone in the forest miles away from the hunt pursued and slew this scourge of the province he put his horn to his lips the others who carried similar instruments followed his example a triumphant travalira was blown all present took off their hunting caps and cheered and the hounds added their barking to the chorus is it possible edward the marquise said terrified at the thought of the danger her son must have run in an encounter with the dreaded beast is it possible that these two alone have slain this dreadful wolf it is quite possible my dear since it has been done though had you asked me yesterday i should almost have said that it could not be however there it is ernest and his brave young friend have covered themselves with glory they will be the heroes of the department but we must not stay talking here we must get ernest into bed as soon as possible a surgeon will be here very shortly i sent a messenger on to dijon for one at the same time i sent to you the marquis stayed outside for a few minutes while the domestics handed round great silver cups full of spiced wine and then bidding good-bye to his guests entered the chateau just as the surgeon rode up to the entrance please tell us all about it his daughters asked him when having seen the surgeon set the broken bone and bandage the wound operations which ernest bore with stoical firmness he went down to the salon where his daughters were anxiously expecting him all about it please we have heard nothing for harry went upstairs with ernest and has not come down again the marquis told the whole story how the wolf had made his escape unseen through the cordon round his lair and had passed within the sight of the two boys some distance away and how they had hunted it down and slain it the girls shuddered at the story of the death of the woodcutter and the short but desperate conflict with the wolf then ernest has the principal honour this time the eldest girl said it is pretty evenly divided the marquis said you see ernest brought the wolf to bay by breaking its shoulder and struck the first blow as it was flying upon harry who had been thrown from his horse then again ernest would almost certainly have been killed had not harry in his turn come to his assistance and dealt it its mortal blows there is not much difference but perhaps the chief honours rest with ernest i am glad of that papa mademoiselle de st caux said it is only right the chief honour should be with your son and not with this english boy he has had more than his share already i think you would not think so if he had saved your life sister jeanne broke in impetuously it was very brave of them both to kill the wolf but i think it was ever ever so much braver to attack a great mad dog without weapons don't you think so papa i don't think you should speak so warmly to your elder sister jeanne the marquis said she is a grown-up young lady and you are in the schoolroom still in answer to your question i admit that the first was very much the braver deed i myself should have liked nothing better than to stand before that great wolf with my hunting-sword in hand 
but although if i had been near you when the hound attacked you i should doubtless have thrown myself before you i should have been horribly frightened and should certainly have been killed for i should never have thought of or carried so promptly out the plan which harry adopted of muzzling the animal but there is no need to make comparisons on the present occasion both the lads have behaved with great bravery and i am proud that ernest is one of the conquerors of the demon wolf it will start him in life with a reputation already established for courage now come with me and have a look at the wolf i don't think such a beast was ever before seen in france i am going to have him stuffed and set up as a trophy he shall stand over the fireplace in the hall and long after we have all mouldered to dust our descendants will point to it proudly telling how a lad of their race with another his own age slew the demon wolf of burgundy ernest was confined to his bed for nearly a month and during this time harry often went on long rides and walks by himself in the evening the marquis frequently talked with him over the situation of the country and compared the events which had taken place with the struggle of the english parliament with the king there was one point of difference between the two cases he said one evening in england the people had already great power in the state the parliament had always been a check upon the royal authority and it was because the king tried to overrule parliament that the trouble came about here our kings or at least the ministers they appointed have always governed often unwisely i admit but is it likely that the mob would govern better that is the question at present they seem bent on showing their incapacity to govern even themselves the marquis de st caux had in some respects the thoughts and opinions of the old school he was a royalist pure and simple as to politics he troubled his head little about them these were a matter for ministers it was their business to find a remedy for the general ills as to the national assembly which represented only the middle class and people he regarded it with contempt why it was from the middle class he said that the oppressors of the people were drawn it is they who were farmers-general collectors and officials of all kinds it is they who ground down the nation and enriched themselves with the spoil it is not the nobles who dirtied their hands with money wrung from the poor by all means let the middle class have a share in the government but it is not a share they desire the clergy are to have no voice the nobility are to have no voice the king himself is to be a cipher all power is to be placed in the hands of these men the chosen of the scum of the great towns the mere mouthpieces of the ignorant mob it is not order that these gentry are organizing it is disorder such were the opinions of the marquis but he was tolerant of other views and at the gatherings at the chateau harry heard opinions of all kinds expressed during his rambles alone he entered as much as he could into conversation with the peasants with woodcutters foresters and villagers he found that the distress which prevailed everywhere was terrible the people scarcely kept life together and many had died of absolute starvation he found a feeling of despair everywhere and a dull hatred of all who were above them in the world harry had difficulty in making them talk and at first could obtain only sullen monosyllables his dress and appearance showed him to belong to the hated classes and set them against him at once but when he said that he was english and that in england people were watching with great interest what was passing in france they had no hesitation in speaking harry's motives in endeavouring to find out what were the feelings of the people at large were not those of mere curiosity he was now much attached to the marquis and his family and the reports which came from all parts of france as well as from paris together with the talk among the visitors at the chateau convinced him that the state of affairs was more serious than the marquis was inclined to admit the capture of the bastille and the slaughter of its defenders the massacres of persons obnoxious to the mob not only in the streets of paris but in those of other great towns proved that the lower class if they once obtained the upper hand were ready to go all lengths 
while the number of the nobility who were flocking across the frontier showed that among this body there existed grievous apprehensions as to the future harry had read in a book in the library of the chateau an account of the frightful excesses perpetrated by the jacquerie that dreadful insurrection had been crushed out by the armor-clad knights of france but who was to undertake the task should such a flame again burst out the nobles no longer wore armor they had no armed retainers they would be a mere handful among a multitude the army had already shown its sympathy with the popular movement and could not be relied upon that the marquis himself should face out any danger which might come seemed to harry right and natural but he thought that he was wrong not to send his wife and daughters and at any rate jewels across the rhine until the dangers were past but the marquis had no fears Someone had mentioned the jacquerie in one of their conversations but the marquis had put it aside as being altogether apart from the question the jacquerie took place he said hundreds of years ago the people then were serfs and little more than savages can we imagine it possible that at this day the people would be capable of such excesses the answer of the gentleman he addressed had weighed little with the marquis but harry thought over it seriously civilization has increased marquis since the days of the jacquerie but the condition of the people has improved but little even now the feudal usages are scarce extinct the lower class have been regarded as animals rather than men and the increase of civilization which you speak of and from which they have received no benefit makes them hate even more bitterly than of old those in position above them i am a reformer i desire to see sweeping changes i want a good wise and honest government and i desire these things because i fear that if they do not come peacefully they will come in a tempest of lawlessness and vengeance well they are getting all they want the marquis said peevishly they are passing every law however absurd that comes into their hands no one is opposing them they have got the reins in their own hands what on earth can they want more there might have been an excuse for rebellion and riot two years since there can be none now what say you ab the abbe seldom took part in conversations on politics but being now appealed to he said mildly we must allow for human nature monsieur the slave who finds himself free with arms in his hands is not likely to settle down at once into a peaceful citizen men's heads are turned with the changes the last two years have brought they are drunk with their own success and who can say where they will stop so far they find no benefit from the changes bread is as dear as ever men's pockets are as empty they thought to gain everything they find they have got nothing and so they will cry for more and more change their fury will run higher and higher with each disappointment and who can say to what length they will go they have already confiscated the property of the church next will come that of the laity i had no idea you were such a prophet of evil ab the marquis said with an uneasy laugh while feelings of gloom and anxiety fell over the others who heard the abbe's words god forbid that i should be a prophet the old man said gravely i hope and trust that i am mistaken and that he has not reserved this terrible punishment for france but you ask me for my opinion marquis and i have given it to you despite these forebodings the winter of seventeen ninety passed without disturbance at the chateau in the spring came news of disorder pillage and acts of ruffianism in various parts chateaus and convents were burned and destroyed and people refused to pay either their taxes or rents to their landlords in the south the popular excitement was greater than in other parts in burgundy there was for the most part tranquillity and the marquis who had always been regarded as an indulgent seigneur by the people of his estate still maintained that these troubles only occurred where their proprietors had abused their privileges and ground down the people End of chapter three recording by Jen Raimundo.